apps of corporate and investment banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in healthcare. The treatment of drug-resistant TB, malaria, and HIV has actually dropped. And in one of my interviews with the Global Fund, they've seen a drop of over 20% in the diagnosis and treatment of these diseases, which means that as a continent, we backtrack quite significantly in the treatment of these diseases, which are hugely, hugely impactful for our continent at the moment. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Welcome to this latest episode of APSA Insights. And today it's life courtesy of vaccines. What does a post-COVID world look like and just how much responsibility is there on us in terms of vaccines to ensure that we get back to some sort of pro-growth normal? Lisa Eustace is healthcare sector lead at APSA Corporate and Investment Bank. And I get incredibly envious, Lisa, and I stopped watching all international sport, whether it be the Open whether it be the tennis at Wimbledon, whether it be premiership football matches, because people in the rest of the world are behaving like there is absolutely no COVID anywhere in the world. Are you envious too? I am envious, Bruce, but I'm very happy that um, the UK government is very soon to be taking us off the red list. So for many reasons, some very personal and uh, to travel again would be wonderful. But I think it's going to be so great for our tourism industry to really open up to the UK, who've been, you know, some of the biggest supporters of hospitality, you know, over the over the years. Uh, Absolutely. And the world is opening up again. And we're seeing lots of countries opening their borders. And there's going to have to be, I suppose, a great deal of flexibility until there is much higher level of vaccination in the world to encourage tourism to actually happen on a more sustainable basis. There may still be be some trepidation about, yes, I can get to my destination, but what happens if a destination gets red listed again and we get put back on a quarantine list of some description? Uh, I think that's one of the biggest worries is that it's here to stay. We're not quite sure, you know, how the rest of the world is going to react, which is why we need to ensure that our herd immunity is reached sooner than later. We need to avoid the virus mutating into variants, which is, you know, largely the reason why we've been on so long is the beta variant was one of the biggest concerns for the UK. So the sooner that we can, as a population or as a continent at least, get vaccinated, the sooner we can ensure that, you know, we can get back to normal across all sectors, which will stimulate growth and uh, recovery for the continent, which we desperately need. Because what we've seen through this crisis was, one, the shortage of vaccine, and there was a real crisis with that at the beginning, and that led to an unnecessary delay, of course, on the application of vaccines. And now that we have plenty of vaccine available, plenty of places where you can go and get vaccinated on almost any day of the week. Uh, We're seeing a bit of reluctance creeping in. And that's, I think, possibly the most concerning aspect of this crisis so far is we have the tools at our disposal from a healthcare perspective, but now we need to go on a massive offensive in terms of public relations. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I think this is one of the biggest risks to economic recovery is the vaccine hesitancy that we're seeing. The facts speak for themselves that the vaccine is actually working. If you look at the frontline 
frontline workers in our hospital groups, the infections and the death rates have decreased significantly. And so what we have spoken around with some of our clients lately is the issue of health literacy and really not understanding the importance of vaccinations, one, but that they actually work and that they're safe. So I think the more time and investment that we put into empowering the patient that the vaccination actually works, that's going to be the quickest path to recovery. And more than anything, I think it's about actually thinking around your community and your loved ones. And the longer we take to vaccinate our continent, the more we'll be subject to lockdown, social distancing, and then, you know, potentially being on and off red lists across the globe, which will be devastating, as we've already seen in our economy. And we're seeing the dreadful knock-on consequences, for example, happening not only in terms of people's health, but we're seeing it come through in the tourism sector. We're coming, seeing it coming through in terms of things like education, where we're seeing a South African education system already struggling long before COVID hit, where kids are being compromised forever in terms of their schooling. They're missing out on critical building blocks in terms of education. They're not getting the compound benefit of turning up at school every day. And even as we speak now, government insists that it is opening up schools, but there's huge evidence to suggest that there's a huge amount of reticence by teachers, many of whom are fully vaccinated themselves, to go back to school as well. Look, I think that, you know, with the employment rate where it is, close to 35% and 50% of that in the youth, I think this is actually one of the most critical sort of fallouts that we've seen from, from the vaccination. I read a report the other day that said that at least in, in 10% of adults reported that at least one of their learners had not actually returned to school and that it's estimated between 650 to 750,000 children had not attended school by May year. But those are quite scary statistics, and we need to rectify that very quickly going forward before it spirals even more out of control than it is. Here's the point, though, and all of this is about choice. What we're seeing happening through choice is that ICUs across the world, and certainly uh, I can test for that in South Africa, and I can test for that in parts of the United States where populations are well vaccinated, the UK where populations are particularly well vaccinated, is that you're not seeing vaccinated people turn up routinely, at least, in in ICU. There is evidence and unequivocal evidence of the efficacy of the vaccines. Yet, by refusing to take them, we're condemning ourselves to a really dreadful future, potentially. A really important part, you know, if I go back to the healthcare system, is that the longer it takes for us to get vaccinated, the more subjective the continent's going to be to, to what we know as long COVID. Long COVID has a few consequences. First of all, it continues to put pressure on the hospital system where your utilization levels are swayed towards those um, that are suffering from COVID, either in the ICU or high care beds, as you've mentioned. Unfortunately, that's home to the unvaccinated at the moment. But more than that, long term, it's around what will happen to the cost of health care going forward. With long COVID in our sites, you know, we can expect that the cost of insurance and the cost of healthcare can only go up. And we need to be very mindful of that in, in an environment like South Africa, where the cost of private medical insurance is already very high. So, you know, we really do need to drive for many reasons the herd immunity. But across the continent, we think and look at what the consequences have been um, as well of not vaccinating is that the treatment of drug resistant TB, malaria and HIV has actually dropped. And in one of my interviews with the Global Fund, they've seen a drop 
drop of over 20% in the diagnosis and treatment of these diseases, which means that as a continent, we backtrack quite significantly in the treatment of these diseases, which are hugely, hugely impactful for our continent at the moment. And we shouldn't be treating COVID particularly as a new phenomenon or a new way of thinking because we've seen the devastating consequences of TB and we've learned to live with TB. It's almost as if it's not a condition, yet it still kills more people across Africa uh, than COVID has. Um, But TB is certainly a a desperate condition. And we also see, of course, HIV. And we know the economic consequences of ignoring HIV from a South African perspective for as long as we did. Quite right. I think that if we can treat COVID um, as quickly as possible, and by doing that, you know, we need to think around how we can uh, make the continent more resilient. And that would be by increasing local manufacture. I think that that is pretty key in spurring growth, putting Africa on on the map in terms of getting their own production of vaccines available um, and being, you know, less reliant on the rest of the world, which we saw at the outset of COVID, relying on the rest of the world for PPE, medical devices, and now more recently with the vaccine. So there's quite a lot we can talk about from a local manufacturer perspective, um, which will absolutely provide um, resilience for the continent going forward. And the examples of that now already, you know, Aspen and J&J have certainly put Africa on the map. They fast-tracked the delivery of Johnson & Johnson into the continent, which is very well suited with the single dose. And more recently, the partnership between BioVac and Pfizer, which is also going to put the continent at the front of the queue rather than the back when it comes to the vaccination, especially when boosters are going to be required going forward. Still to come in this EBSA Insights podcast. I feel hopeful that this is the right step in the right direction and that the NHI possibly does become much more possible, notwithstanding the huge financial requirements there, but but certainly from a collaboration perspective, I think that it really has worked in their favor in terms of how the partnership can work going forward. APSA Insights. Now, as part of this particular series, of course, um, we're going to be talking to Aspen Pharmacare because they have got the manufacturing license as a result of Johnson & Johnson. Is there an argument to your mind at the risk of being incredibly contentious to make vaccines compulsory? I know a lot of CEOs who privately have told me that they are looking to follow the lead of a discovery, for example, in making it compulsory. If you want to return to the office at any point in the future, you're going to need to show that you're vaccinated. Is there any argument, a legitimate argument, to suggest that is unreasonable as a course of action? And should we be making the application of vaccines compulsory in South Africa? I think that, you know, the companies that have announced that these vaccinations will be compulsory obviously have legitimate reasons behind them. Most most of them are in the healthcare business. And so they're in the business of keeping people healthy and out of hospitals. And so to a certain extent, you can understand where that all comes from. The rest of corporate SA will be very interesting to see how that pl- this plays out. I think we need to you know stick to the facts around vaccinations and that they do work. But if you are unvaccinated, there's a couple of things you need to be mindful of. One, you're much more likely to get infected. You're even more likely 
likely to infect others and requires hospitalization or even get a more serious effect of the virus. But with that in mind, it's is as a person that's unvaccinated, would you, are you comfortable that you could potentially infect those that you love and your community and allow the virus to mutate? So whilst it may not be compulsory by corporates, I think as an individual, it's really important to consider the effect that you're having on the rest of your community and the people that you work with and take that into consideration. All right, we don't make it compulsory then, but we require people to prove that they have been vaccinated. And this opens up another kind of worms completely. People are referring to the requirement of vaccine passports like some form of dompas, which personally I find a ludicrous argument, uh, and I've stated that publicly as well. This is purely something based on choice. But when we're looking at opening up an economy, one's got to do it in a circumspect manner, does one not? Yes, Bruce, I agree. And I think we need to make sure that the vaccine passport are legitimate. You know, the UK has made that as one of the conditions to taking SA off the red list is how are we going to legitimize the vaccine passport such that it can't be corrupted, so to say. So I think that that is hugely important. You know, personally for me, I think that as someone who has been vaccinated and very proud to have been vaccinated, I think that we have a right to understand when we go into the office, as an example, that we have been safeguarded as much as possible from those that are potentially more contagious than us. And so, you know, those types of permits, I think, if you can call them that, I think will become more widespread going forward and should do to safeguard us and the rest of our community, especially those who are vulnerable. Are we closer or further away as a result of COVID-19 and the scandals around procurement of PPEs? Are we closer to some form of national health insurance in the future? I get the sense that we are in a position where there's been a huge amount of collaboration between public and private sectors and labor in ways that we never dreamed was possible. At the same time, the scandal around PPE procurement and the digital vibe scandals for example, really has undermined public confidence in the Department of Health to organize a party in a brewery. So where do we stand in terms of the macro picture for the future of healthcare post these dreadful events of the last 18, 19 months? You know, so Bruce, I think the last 18 months has actually shone a different lens on how the public and the private sector can work together. Look, I think there's quite a lot that can still be done better. And I think that those learnings have been acknowledged from both sides. But it's certainly come a long way from, you know, pre-COVID when the collaboration, it was just not there. And I think the triple P, if I can call it that, has certainly improved over the last 18 months. It's been spearheaded by B4SA, which have done an incredible job of bringing the two regimes together in the rollout of the vaccination. So, you know, we've got the supply issue right. Uh, the distribution has also been incredible. Um, you look at the likes of this game clicks, um, the hospital groups and what they've done um, for the vaccination rollout. And I think going forward, it really has opened up eyes in terms of what can be be done. And hopefully going forward, it will try to address some of the significant gaps that we see in healthcare, uh, which would be obviously training of the frontline workers, increasing access to the uninsured, which is hugely critical going forward um, and also critical for the success of the healthcare sector in general. 
But, you know, I think most importantly, it's about what is best practice, where are the expertise from a management perspective, and then leveraging on those strengths in the public sector to get that done. I feel hopeful that this is the right step in the right direction and that the NHI possibly does become much more possible, notwithstanding the huge financial requirements there, but but certainly from a collaboration perspective, I think that it really has worked in their favor in terms of how the partnership can work going forward. And here's the point. I mean, if we look at the earliest draft of national health insurance, they were wholly pie in the sky, unwork, unworkable, massively costly, vanity project by a government that wants to be at the epicenter of absolutely everything in the economy. And if and I hate to use the term upside when it comes to COVID-19, but if there is to be an upside out of COVID-19, it does show that the public health care system under duress works. It needs to work better. It can be better funded and better resourced. But my goodness gracious me, the biggest opportunity and the, the biggest wasted learning that will emerge from COVID-19 is if we don't learn the very valuable lessons that this awful pandemic has taught us. Well, exactly. I think that if we don't try to leverage the private sector going forward, just from, you know, a supply and I've spoken about manufacturing, we really need to put that front and center of our future. You know, we need to think about distribution. That is going to be key for the continent going forward. I mean, logistics at the moment, it's 10 times more expensive than the rest of the world. So improving on infrastructure and development for distribution and improving and using data and technology will bring down the costs of healthcare going forward. We have all these capabilities in our own continents about using those and relying on the expertise of the private sector, which have done a fantastic job in really um, ensuring that the masses have received their vaccination in South Africa and the rest of the continent. We have to make sure that this does not happen again and be ready for any future pandemics. So as I've mentioned, local manufacture, reducing the cost of logistics, and then producing our own vaccines, Bruce, is going to be huge important for the continent going forward. And I think that the partnerships that I've spoken about, J&J, Aspen, BioVac, Pfizer, will just be the beginning of what we will hopefully see as our own production of our own African vaccine, which will be a blueprint for the rest of Africa. Lisa Eustace is the healthcare sector lead at APSA Corporate and Investment Bank. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.